As I said, today is Pentecost Sunday, and I'm a lot like Pastor. We have a very similar mindset to this. I've heard him tell me this many times. that He doesn't look at the day on the calendar as sort of his requirement to preach a certain thing. Like, he don't necessarily have to preach a Christmas sermon because it's Christmas, and he doesn't necessarily preach a Mother's sermon because it's Mother's Day. And normally, I think I've, I've because Pentecost Sunday's right here, I think I've spoken several times on this day, and I'm the same way. I don't feel like I necessarily have to preach a, a Pentecost sermon on Pentecost. But as I was preparing, preparing and, and listening to the Lord, I really felt drawn to talk about the Holy Spirit today. And I'm going to do it in, in maybe a way you haven't heard or, or do a teaching to show you exactly what the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives. And sometimes, again, because of my roots, and I enjoy my roots, don't get me wrong, I am thankful for the worship that we get to experience and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the fact that we're free to express ourselves. Amen. I am thankful for that. But sometimes the, the we, we get so drawn to that aspect that we forget the real, the whole purpose of Pentecost. The purpose of Pentecost wasn't just for me to feel good. Amen? The purpose of Pentecost was for me to be prepared to do what God has designed and called me to do. It was to equip me to be the, the, the leader, the Christian, the disciple I was supposed to be. So I want to show you how the Lord shows this, not just in Acts. We'll get to Acts in a moment. But I want to start in the book of Exodus. If you'll go with me to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Now we're going Old Testament because everything in the Old Testament, as, as some of you know, if you don't, everything in the Old Testament really exists to serve as a metaphor, as an emblem. It's a symbolic representation of everything that happens in the church age today. What Jesus did and His victory on the cross and Him raising from the dead. Everything that happens there is, is portrayed, it's, it's foreshadowed or foretold in the Old Testament. And sometimes some of the things, we look at them in a literal sense, we get into some of these books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some of it can get real heavy and, and kind of uh, we get bogged down. Or is it just me? Y'all all spiritual. Y'all may all really love to exegete that stuff. I get bogged down in it sometimes. I'm like, oh, me. But if you really look at it, though, all of it serves to, to point out what is to come. And I want us to, to look through this today. So I'm going to read, then we're going to dig in, if that's okay. Exodus chapter 30. I want to start with verse 22, and we're going to go through verse 33. Let's read it, then we'll kind of go back and break it down. So the context, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. He's giving him laws. He's giving him uh, basically the, the, the roles that the people are supposed to serve in worship. We know in the Old Testament, because Jesus hadn't come, they had to, to sacrifice animals, and there had to be specific ways it had to be done, and there were all these laws they had to follow. And so this is part of the law. Look at what it says. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. Now, it sounds like a recipe, right? Any of you cooks, if you're like my wife, my wife loves recipes. She's got them all over the place. And, you know, you're trying to get everything out. You have to get everything just right because you mess up one thing, it messes up the whole dish, right? So God is giving them a recipe for something. And what He's giving them a recipe for is this in verse 25. And you shall make from these a holy... Everybody say holy. A holy anointing oil. An ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy 
anointing oil. He says it again, so that must be important. He repeats himself in that verse. It is not just an oil. This isn't just a normal oil that will smell good. It's not an essential oil that, that you just you know can use for different things. It is a holy anointing oil. It's very important. Verse 26, With it you will anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony. So this oil was going to be used to anoint the entire tent, the place where they came to worship. It was also going to anoint the ark of the testimony, which was the symbolic for them presence of God, the place where the presence of God would come down and dwell with them. The table and all of its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the laver and its base, you shall consecrate them that they may be most... There's that word again. What is it? Holy. Whatever touches them must be what? Holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, again, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. So you're thinking, wow, that's great. He gave him a recipe for oil. That's really going to make me excited today. But you need to understand its purpose. And as I go through this today, I want to show you how this holy anointing oil that God wanted His people to use in the Old Testament is a clear symbol, it is a clear parallel of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that came down on the day of Pentecost. Let me explain a little bit. Throughout the Bible, oil was used really for three definite purposes. The first one was oil was used to anoint the body. It was used to anoint the body. If someone had died, there was spices or oils that were put on there to help preserve them. Or maybe even if the body wasn't dead and someone just needed to refresh themselves, they would put oil on their body. It would anoint their body with oil. Maybe, I mean, obviously indoor plumbing wasn't around back then, so you probably wanted people to anoint themselves with oil. Amen? And so think about that. It would not only do that, but oil would be used in their preparation of food. Again, they didn't have refrigerators and things like that, so many of the processes they would use to preserve their food, oil would have a very heavy use to be rubbed on their food to preserve it to make sure that it could be eaten. It also would be used, obviously, as we use oil today. It adds a little bit of flavor, amen? I don't like eating bland stuff. Any of y'all like that? Yeah, we want to have a little flavor in our food, so oil would actually help sort of spice things up. It would also be used to give light to lamps, a very practical sense. We know Jesus in the New Testament, when He would give parables of making sure you were ready, have oil ready in your lamp. Why? Because you needed to have oil so you could light it and you could burn, and that, that lamp would have light. If you didn't have oil, it wouldn't light. Everybody with me? It's very, very simple so far, but make sure you stay with me. Well, think about it. If oil could be used in those things, think about what the Holy Spirit does. If the oil was to anoint the body and give refreshing, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the prophets, you know, prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come. It would be a refreshing. Amen? It's that refreshing, that living water that lives on the inside of us that anytime we're down and out, if we get along with God, if we begin to talk to God, if we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak through us, guess what happens? My soul gets refreshed. It's renewed. It's like a new fragrance. I may have come into this place today feeling sour. Some of you came into this place feeling sour. 
You ask how I know. Are you a prophet? No, I can just look at your face. It's nothing prophetic. It's just, just basic stuff. You can just tell. Some of you just came down feeling bad. Look at just, just down on your... And guess what? You get in the Holy Spirit. You start worshiping and the Spirit starts moving and that starts to bubble up on the inside. You can't help but feel refreshed and excited and smile. Amen? The Holy Spirit works to refresh our bodies. Just like the food that they would prepare and preserve with the oil would give strength to their bodies, the Holy Spirit gives strength and encouragement to our hearts and our souls. It's the food that we need. I can't go a day without the Holy Spirit. I, 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 can't, I can't go through the different challenges and the different roles and the different people I deal with in my life. If I just depended on my flesh, PB would have either been killed or beat up or put in a jail somewhere a long time ago. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It also gives us light, just like it gives light to the lamps. The Holy Spirit's what gives us brightness. It's what helps us stand out. Amen? I mean, it's one thing to be eloquent of speech. I mean, I try to be eloquent of speech. I have some degrees, so I guess I'm somewhat educated, as, as they say. But, but no amount of those things can take the place of the power of the Holy Spirit because the Bible says unless the Holy Spirit draws, then there's nothing I can say that's going to make them come to Christ. Is anybody listening to me? But I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit because with the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, I don't have to depend again on my own strength and my own eloquence and my own education. The power of the Holy Spirit working through me illuminates what I use, what talents and gifts I have, and everything is drawn toward Him. Amen? The Holy Spirit serves an incredible role in our lives. So just like the anointing oil of the Old Testament, we need to make sure that we are holding on to that and we're applying that spiritual oil to our lives. Let me break it down like this and show you some things about this oil. I have seven things I want to show you, facts about the oil that we can pull from that Scripture, and we'll look at how the Holy Spirit sort of mimics that role in our lives. First of all, I pointed it out. It said it at least five times, I believe, in that passage. What was the adjective that kept using to describe the oil? Do you remember? Holy. So the first thing you need to remember is the oil is holy. The oil's chief purpose was to sanctify and to set apart. Listen, this isn't a popular message today, but it's okay. Pastor will be back next week. But holiness is God's standard for living. Within our church, we proclaim it. It's part of our, our, our declaration of faith that we believe. It's one of the first things that we proclaim. Holiness is God's standard for living. We're in a day and age, and you hear pastor preach it all the time. I know I was just saying that, but he preaches it so I, I can preach it too. But you know, we weren't created to, or meant to sin every day, right? Once we come into agreement with Christ, and I'll point out this more in just a moment, but the life of a Christian isn't just to, we have freedom, we've been forgiven, so we can do what we want to, right? God has designed us, and He wants us to follow and begin a process of being more like Him each and every day. It's a process of purification. That's the, the anointing on our life, the Spirit on our life. We're meant to live holy. We're meant to live clean. Our lives are meant to look acceptable in His sight. Holiness is God's standard. Don't get me wrong, in the name of holiness, there's been a whole lot of things that have been preached and proclaimed that have nothing to do with holiness. It's just about a perception and an appearance. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the fact that what are your intentions and where is your heart? Is your heart to be more like Jesus every day? Is your desire to be more like Him and to follow His will and the things that He despises you're willing to stay away from? I told you that's tough. 
The Holy Spirit makes contact with those things that have been consecrated to God to make holy. The reason why when we give our hearts to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in, and then later we experience an empowerment, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, that happens when we have shown that we're ready for that. When we, when we proclaim Jesus as our Savior and the Holy Spirit's coming in, it's coming in to begin the clean house. You know, with me? It's coming in to begin to clean some things up. The point isn't to just come in and, and affirm you. And I could go a lot of places there. I'm going to be good today. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just come to affirm who you are right now. The Holy Spirit's coming in to say, I love you where you are right now, so let's do this thing and let me show you how I can allow you to be my light. How I can make your life closer to what I want you to be. Is this making sense so far? The Holy Spirit makes contact to us with, and its job and its goal and its end game is to make us holy. Here's the second thing. Pull, pull verse 31 there back up of Exodus. The oil was claimed by God. Look at this again. It says, you shall speak to the children of Israel. This shall be a holy anointing oil to who? To me. God's saying, this is my oil. You're not going to mix this up and this just be for your benefit, for your glory. This is for who? The holy oil was the seal of God Jehovah. Understand this. Everything that this oil touched, it sanctified. It cleaned. Again, kind of... Merging these two points together. Everything the Holy Spirit touches is going to be clean. Be very wary of things that claim to be the Holy Spirit, but don't look clean. Y'all hear me? Be wary of things that claim to be the Holy Spirit, but they don't look clean. The Holy Oil was the seal of God. It was the voice of God that asserted authority. It was the hand of God that laid hold and separated the vessels for His use. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God here on earth, and it carries out His will in the church. You understand the power of that? When the Holy Spirit comes in, just like that, when that oil touches something, God was saying, that's mine. You put oil on that, it shows that it's mine. Guess what? When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when we have given Him our lives and, and our hearts, and, and the Holy Spirit comes into our heart at that point, and we're filled... Guess what? God's saying, from this point forward, you're mine. I'm putting my seal upon you. Whatever the enemy continues to say about you, forget it. Amen? Maybe some of you want to keep listening to that, but if you keep listening to the enemy saying you're worthless, you're no good, you're, you're, you're not ever going to succeed or doing anything, keep listening to that and you keep living miserably. But I choose to listen to the fact that God put His hand on me. And no matter if everybody around me hates me and says all kinds of things, I'm still God's child and I'm in His hand and He's mine. Amen? His seal is upon me and there's nothing that can touch me that goes that, that can't go past His hand. Is this good? God's not going to allow anything to overcome me that, 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 that He doesn't want to happen. He's going to be for me. His seal is upon me. His hand is upon me. It's His voice. Speaking that affirmation, you know what the greatest issue and challenge we have in today's world, the reason we have so many people seeking affirmation is because we have a breakdown in the family where people haven't been affirmed at home. We have sons and daughters who have been seeking an affirmation from an earthly father that have never received it. We have people who come from homes from mothers who they just want to hear somebody say, I'm proud of you and I love you. And because of that, now they're just seeking affirmation anywhere they can get it, no matter where they go. That's the reason you have to create months and holidays and create slogans and agendas to try to get people to say that they like you and to affirm you. Well, I'm here to tell you, I, I, I can't speak for what you've gone through in your past. I can't. 
But I can speak for you this. The moment that you walk into the to, to covenant with God, the moment you accept Jesus as your Savior, Jesus says, I am proud of you. Jesus affirms you. His voice and His hand is upon you. He says, you are now my son. You are now my daughter. And in you, I'm well pleased. And I'm here to tell you, you can have all the pride here on earth you want to, and nothing will ever fill the mark until you hear those words from a heavenly Father. Amen? My goodness. It's good preaching, PB. Keep going. Let's go to the third thing. The oil was then placed on Aaron and his sons. This is the third thing I want to show you. The oil, it said, was, was specifically placed on Aaron. Now again, I'm going to kind of do some quick summarized preaching, paraphrase preaching and teaching if that's okay. You can go back and look at the, you know, the references on your own, but I'll, I'll just kind of clean it up for the sake of time. We know that Aaron was, was with, with Moses. He was the right hand of Moses. He was the mouthpiece of Moses, basically. When Moses was called to do what he was called to do, his excuse was, but, but, but God, I can't, can't talk. And he said, fine, take Aaron with you. Aaron went with him, right beside him. He said, Aaron can be your mouthpiece if that's what it takes. But I'm telling you, I'm calling you, I'm equipping you, but send Aaron. And so Aaron basically became the right-hand man of Moses throughout all of the points where they're leading the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea as they're getting ready to go to Canaan. Well, Aaron and his sons, they become the priests. They're the ones who were chosen to be the priesthood of the Children of Israel, they're the ones, it's their job to prepare everything for worship. The tabernacle and all those tools we just talked about, their job was to prepare it, to make sure it was ready. Their job was to take the sacrifices and give them to God. It was their job to go into the Holy of Holies and make sure that everyone's prayers and everyone's supplications were taken right before the throne of God. Everybody understand? Say yeah. That was Aaron's job. And so as the priesthood, as that representative, if you want to really think about it again from this metaphoric, symbolic standpoint, Aaron sort of served the point of Jesus for them. He was the royal priesthood. Is everybody understanding that? Aaron was kind of the Savior. He was the one who had to take the, the sacrifice to God. Again, metaphoric. I'm not saying Aaron was a Savior. Don't leave here and try to say PB's preaching some junk. You understand what I'm saying, okay? Thus, his sons, they were the lineage. They were the ones who had to come behind him, right? So the anointing went on Aaron and their sons. They had to be prepared. They had to be clean. If you wanted somebody to take your sacrifice, you better make sure that they're clean. Amen? I mean, can we be real and practical? If I'm sitting here preaching to you, you kind of want to think that PB's living pretty clean, right? We come and listen to Pastor Lot every day. We want to make sure Pastor Lot's living cleanly, right? Anybody who's teaching your kids today, you, you're hoping they're living clean, right? Well, same kind of aspect. They want to make sure that the oil is upon them to make sure that they're clean, that everything has been set apart. This oil became a heritage for Aaron and his sons. I want you to understand that. The sons were able to receive that oil because they were sons. They were in the family. It was a lineage. I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit today is a heritage. It's a lineage. You're saying that I need to be a part of a special club? No, I'm telling you that you already are. I'm telling you, you already are. See, the Holy Spirit came down in, in Acts 2 and it filled them and empowered them to go and do great things and to build the kingdom of God. But I don't know what you've been taught and prior to some popular belief, it didn't cease or end with the Bible days. Amen? The Holy Spirit didn't end there. It's for you and it's for me. It's for young and it's for old. 
It doesn't matter if you're the, the, the wealthiest person in here or the, or the poorest person in here. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 35 years or if you're just coming to the kingdom of God. Are y'all listening to me today? It doesn't mean if you're the most popular people here with, with thousands of people in your influence or there's not anybody that knows that you even exist on the earth. The Holy Spirit is for you. The Holy Spirit is for you. This lifestyle is for you. You don't have to be quote-unquote good enough you just have to choose and say, God, I want to give you everything I have. And then the Holy Spirit will invade your life and it will empower you. You're a part of the kingdom of God. Listen, Paul said, once we, once we come in, we've been adopted into the kingdom of God. That's why you're a son and a daughter of the king, of the, the royal priest. So the Holy Spirit, all that fell then, it can fall on you. This should excite you a little more than it is, but that's okay. I'm just, just soaking in. Go to Galatians 4.5. Let me show you a couple of things. Galatians 4.5. Paul's writing, he said that to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive what? Adoptions as sons. Guess what? Jesus died so that when you become a part of the kingdom, you're adopted. You're part of the family. Amen? That means I have a right to what the family has a right. I'm a part of the inheritance. So the Holy Spirit, I'm in, I, I say entitled, I'm, I'm, I'm able to receive it. I have a right to it. Go to 1 John 2.27. But the anointing which you have received, it abide from Him. Guess what? It abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. And it's true and it's not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. You see the Holy Spirit, that all, it's, a, it's an inheritance that you can receive. And guess what? It abides in you and it's something that will go past you as the Lord tarries. Not only is the Holy Spirit for me, but I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit's for my sons. I'm thankful that my sons aren't just going to carry the name Robbins, though, I mean, I take a little pride in that and hope it means something. But I'm very thankful that the Holy Spirit that I've received and that I've worked in, greater things are set for them. And if they tarry and they have children, greater things are going to tarry for them. Are y'all listening to me? Look, I... I, I I hate to get too practical and I don't want to get on the soapbox, but I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of the doom and gloom that we're facing in today's society. I'm not telling you that we can't be realist and look at things that are bad, but, but we begin to talk up and promote the bad that's going on in this world so much that we forget to realize that things are just simply lining up the way that they were supposed to. It's simply setting the table for the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. And if we're going to see that and we want to be a part of that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to engage in our lives so that we can be the men and women of God we were called to be. Look at number four. The oil was used to sanctify the vessels. Forgive me, guys. Can you go back to verses 26 through 29 of the Exodus Scripture? Let's look at this one more time. With it, it again being the oil, notice what it says. You will anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with its utensils, and the laver and the base. You will consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be what? Again, holy. Now again, for the sake of time, I can't go through and teach you the entire tabernacle, but if you go back in all of those things that were mentioned, the tabernacle had these levels There were... There were different courts, and as you went in to worship, you had to go through and do different things. There was a, 
a, a table there, it said of showbread that you ate from. There's a place where you washed your hands. And all of those things were symbolic of, of getting yourself prepared for worship. Again, very symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit, what would come through the completed work of Jesus. But all of these things were a part of worship. And there wasn't a single one of them. Not only the actual table, the bowls, any utensils, if there was a spoon, if there was a fork, if there was even a pen that was sitting on the table, every single one of those things had to be consecrated and anointed with this oil. Are y'all, y'all understanding this? I, maybe not the best analogy, but I, I like to try to make things clear. Let's imagine that we wanted to make sure everything... This would be... If we were going to anoint everything in this church, and we said it had to be everything, the, the whole info desk back there and every clipboard and every pen and every tithe envelope would be anointed with oil. The fish tank would be anointed with oil. Y'all getting the point? Everything. We, we'd have to make sure everything that t- everything needed to be consecrated. Now, why do you think this was such a big deal? Well, maybe because even before COVID, they wanted to have things sanitary. I don't know. But the real reason would be this. The Holy Spirit, just like that oil, has to consecrate every part of us. You see, here's the problem that a lot of times we face. Listen, I've been here, so I can say we faced it. I've gone through this stage in my life. We really love for the Holy Spirit to operate in certain avenues of our life. But then there are certain things where we just would be glad to let the Holy Spirit, I got this. You understanding? In other words... Let's corporate worship, man. We love the power of the Holy Spirit to be alive when we're worshiping, right? Because we love, man, we just love the, can we be, we love the feeling. How many of you love the feel, the surge and the presence of God? It's okay. I love it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing I found on this earth that can replicate it. Amen. I'm thankful for that. Okay. So don't, don't get me wrong here. But a lot of times we're willing to, to allow the Holy Spirit to invade that part of our lives. But when we leave here, we know that we're going to go home and enter lives and either do things that pleasure us or we're going to do things in our work. We're going to hang around with people and have conversation. We want to go home and have things that entertain us. We're going to, we, we, there's certain things we want to delve into that we would be glad. The Holy Spirit, you stay there. Let me have this. And it's kind of, like the basic adage that I've heard many coaches say, you're either in or you're, you're not. There's not an in-between game when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to have every part of us. That means our wheels, our desires. You know, we all have things that we want. We all have ambitions. We all have desires and things we want to go after. That's, there's a natural... But are we willing to give those things to God? It's something I've had to learn in my life. There were things that I wanted to do beyond the shadow of a doubt. My flesh and inside of me, there were things I wanted to do and I felt like I needed to do. But once I, the Holy Spirit said, are you willing to give those to me? Now, does it mean that living a life through the Holy Spirit, you don't get anything you want? No, I'm not telling you that at all. What I've learned is actually the Holy Spirit, if you'll surrender your wills to them, even if it's delayed, He'll bring them back around for you. Amen? I'm showing you, He is for you. We have to be willing to surrender our wills, our desires, our affections, our thoughts, our beings. We have to be willing to give Him everything that we have because everything needs to be surrendered to the control of the holy anointing that He has. That way everything belongs to Him. He just He's not asking for much. He just wants everything. He wants all of you. 
He just wants you to be willing to surrender everything you have to His will. And once you're willing to do that, He can not only do more through you than you ever realized, but I'm telling you, I've seen it in my life. His blessings will come around and you'll, you'll be thankful that you followed His will. Amen? Let's look at the next one, number five. This oil was not put on man's flesh. Go back to verse 32. Verse 32. Notice what it says. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. Now you just said, well, I thought it was an anointing oil because we again think of people pouring the oil on people's heads and stuff like that. But understand, this was this specific oil that was made, this wasn't an oil that they needed to use to lather in and bathe in. This oil wasn't to be used for their food. This oil had a special purpose. It was, again, holy. Are you all with me? The Holy Spirit doesn't sanctify our flesh fully. I think we need to understand that. And I need you to hear this so, again, you're not misconstrued. Our flesh is sinful and it's flawed. And the best way I can know to explain this to make sure you don't understand, I don't believe the Holy Spirit doesn't come in and immediately take away every sinful desire you'll ever have. If that, if I'm differing from your theology, I apologize, but there's never a moment that's going to come in where every sinful desire is just zapped away and I don't have to worry about it anymore. It'd be too easy. We'd all be saved. You all understand? If the Holy Spirit ever came in and zapped me so much that where I would just, I would never have to worry, then what would be the point of being here? I didn't have to worry about anything again. But what has to happen, Paul said, is our flesh does have to be crucified daily. That means there is an onus on us with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to sacrifice our flesh. To say, you know what, old man, I'm going to kill you again today. You're going back to that cross today. Old man, I'm not going to let you rise up. I'm going to choose to live through the Spirit. So understand that. The selfishness of our carnal mind will never have an unction from the Holy One. Our flesh is constantly lusting against the Spirit of God and it cannot be used by the Spirit. So we need to understand that our carnal mind's never going to have that unction. If you start to wonder, is this God or this God, we'll start to really think, am I really wanting this to happen? And if I'm looking for something based on me and my desire and my will, or is this something that lines up with the Word of God? If it lines up with the Word of God, then it's the Spirit of God. Is this making sense? The selfishness uh, will never have that unction. The holy anointing will never come for your own glory. This is important for you to understand. This is the hardest thing. This is one of the hardest things for, for, for me to grasp and to learn. The Holy Spirit had to really work to, to, to teach me this. But we live in a day and age where the Holy Spirit and His movement can be recognized. Therefore, there's a lot of people who like to use that for their own glory. I'll explain what that looks like in a real practical way. Can I do that? And not PB, right? Yeah, I'm just going to be real with you. I'll be transparent. There are moments, especially young in ministry, a lot of people go through this when they're in that situation. But when I was really young in ministry, man, I would pray hard for the Lord. I just want to preach and I want people to listen and hear it and like it. I want people to be moved by my preaching. Now, when I say that, that's not a bad prayer, I don't guess. But the Holy Spirit used to work on me and He used to really deal with me. Why do you want people to like your preaching? And when we started digging to the roots, you know what was in the root of my heart at the very beginning? I like people to pat me on the back and say, good job. I want to preach such a good sermon that somebody will hear about it and they'll go tell somebody else and then they'll call and, hey, I'll want me to go to their church and then they'll want me to go here and they'll want me to go there and it'll all be great and I'll, I'll have my own ministry. Does this make sense? I'm praying for the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to anoint my personal ambition. 
I've seen it happen with people in speaking and preaching ministry. It's happened to people in, in, in singing ministry. I've seen it happen to people in all kinds of ministry, even in business and in ministry. People are become ambitious. We want the Holy Spirit to anoint our works, and that's good. I want to be, I want everything I do, I want it anointed with the Holy Spirit. But I have to understand the anointing of the Holy Spirit's not going to come if I'm wanting to use that just to build my kingdom. That anointing only comes when I get to a point where I'm saying, God, I need you to anoint my preaching, not because of anything to do with me, but there's going to be at least one person sitting there listening to me that needs to hear from you, and I'm the conduit. I need to be effective, not because of me or anybody even knows who I am. I need to be effective because there's people that need to hear you and know you. I need to be effective because I need to glorify you. And guess what? When you get that attitude and when that becomes the heart of who you are and the soul of who you are, then you see the anointing of the Holy Spirit begin to move in those lives. If we're not willing and ready to glorify them, guess what? We're not going to have communion with a Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit cannot work and flow through us without us being willing to glorify God. That's the purpose. Amen? Let me show you another thing similar to that. Notice the next verse in 33. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, will be cut off from his people. I need you to understand this. The oil wasn't to be put on strangers. This oil wasn't for strangers. Now again, when I first make that point, I'm going to explain. Some of you already, you know, we're not exclusive here. No, listen, salvation is for all. Everybody is welcome in, but we need to understand something. The strangers were for those outside of the priesthood who were not sons. Those who weren't a part of the family. Here's the beauty of it. All of us who come into the kingdom of God, we are sons and daughters. Amen? We've been invited to be sons and daughters. But listen, not everybody's a part of the kingdom because not everybody has accepted Jesus as king. And so they are not sons and daughters. There are people in this world who are not a part of the kingdom. Doesn't mean they can't become a part. I'm just letting you know they're not a part. Every son, no matter how poor or ignorant, can have the holy anointing. But here's the, the, the truth. Nobody else could. So I need you to understand, we live in a world that has become so anti-God that they're trying to solve every problem on their own. We live in a world where we're trying to solve every problem with intellect. And we're trying to solve every problem through politics or through government. We try to solve every problem through debate. My goodness, that debate. We'll record 30-second videos right and left telling everybody how they're wrong and how we're right and we, you know, we post and we share and all these things trying to save the world. But there's no anointing on it. Y'all understand? There's no anointing on it. There is no amount... Again, I, I, I'm repeating myself from earlier. Maybe I got ahead of myself. But you know, there's no amount of eloquence and study of speech. Listen, there are great manipulators out there. I mean, I can study cadence and I can come in here and I know voice and listen to preachers enough where I can do my voice right and it'll sound good and you'll think that there's something really happening. But that, as much as I do that, at the end of the day, there's not going to be any power behind it. There's no amount of talent that can supersede the anointing of God. At the end of the day, the only thing that's anointed are people who are willing to surrender their lives. So here's what we need. If we want to be effective and see change, we have to be willing to surrender our lives to God and let His anointing make us the light that He wants us to be, no matter where we are. And here's the last thing. It kind of goes along with it in the same verse there. It said that none of it should be imitated. The oil was not to be imitated. This was an original recipe. 
There was no room for the great value brand of this oil. There was no room for for the off-brand here. This was just a one single recipe and it was meant to be the real thing. Listen, we cannot imitate the workings of the Holy Spirit without bringing upon our spirits the separating blight of death. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we start playing around with trying to mimic an anointing that's not really there, look, I use this term in, in basically a general sense sometimes. I use it when I'm talking to people at school. I, sometimes I have to do this at school. You may have used this term. Anybody ever heard the term, fake it till you make it? Like, you know, we talk about how, I'm, you know, when I'm in front of kids, I'm supposed to always be on and excited and ready to go and positive, okay? Newsflash, I'm not always on and feeling positive and excited. Maybe, again, being just, can I be transparent? Are we okay? So what do we do? I can't take that out on them. So what do we do? We fake it till we make it. We act like we're until, you know, we get there. That's a good strategy in that aspect, but it's a terrible strategy if you're trying to mimic the anointing of God. If you're not just feeling it, you're just going to say, well, I'm just going to fake it till I make it and hope something happens. If I didn't pray through and feel God this morning, and I just came up here and said, well, this is going to be a dud. I'm just going to act like something, maybe something. Then I'd be missing the mark. Because we can't imitate the anointing of God. No, no sound of voice, no, no practice, no movement. You can practice doing some sort of Pentecostal movement while you sing, and it can't do it. We can't imitate it. You could even get up right now and run around this room and, you know, good for you if you do, but if there's no real power of God in it, you can't imitate it. It's not doing anything to edify the Lord and it's not doing anything for you. Is this making sense? Is this too hard? Listen, God says it clearly over and over again through the Bible. I will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. He said it. His first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. No other God should be before me. He's not going to be mocked. There's no amount of education or eloquence that can replace it. There's no amount of talent that can replace it. There's no zeal that can manufacture it. There's nothing you can do to buy it. And listen, I'm all about education in my in both areas. I mean, there's I don't when I say this, I want to be careful, man. I believe even as ministers, I go to conferences and I learn. I want to hear from people who've been successful and I want them to teach me their systems and their strategies. I want to I want to hear people that are doing things at a greater level of me tell me how to do it. I think that's powerful and important. But I could go talk and listen to the top 50 pastors in America right now and hear everything they have to say, but without the anointing of God on my life and in my ministry, I can't replicate and just copy what they do. Does this make sense? And it's the same thing with your life. Listen, you can, you can listen to me every time that I get a chance to speak. We can listen to Pastor Lot every single week, but until we allow the anointing to really encapsulate our lives and let it be the real thing, it, it's not going to do any good. The anointing is a gift of God, but the beauty of it is it's free. It's free. I'll quickly explain where I kind of learned the power of the anointing as a small, or as a young child. I was probably maybe eight, nine, ten, something like that. I lived in the Mississippi Delta. You may have heard me talk about that when I was a kid. My dad pastored a church in the Mississippi Delta. And around the fall of every year, they had these things called homecomings. Now, I don't know if you, if you grew up in a small church, you may remember the, that term, homecoming. And it'd be like, there's like 10 churches spread across the Delta within, and everybody kind of got together and planned their homecomings on a different 
Sunday. Now, sometimes I, I, I joke around a lot of things I witnessed as a kid in the Delta. I kind of wonder if there was just nothing to do as the reason we did this, because I don't see too much of this happening anywhere else. But basically what happened is on a Sunday when, when it was another church's homecoming, you went to your church, but you knew as soon as your church was over with, what we did was we had to get in the car and go to whatever church was having homecoming, because they were having a potluck meal, so we were going to eat, and then we'd go and uh, listen to their people sing for like two hours. Some of it good, some of it well. And then we'd come home. And again, as I've gotten older, there was a little wisdom there. It meant for about ten Sundays there, there was a free Sunday lunch. That may have been more of it too. But anyway, I'm telling you all that to say that I remember one of those Sundays in this small Delta church with about 25 people in there, I think. On a Sunday afternoon, we're sitting there and I'm just, you know, in my mind, I'm like, come on, Dad, the Cowboys will play at three and we're sitting here listening to this. I mean, just put Bill Gaither on the radio. We'll be okay. You know, but we're sitting there listening. And I remember there was, there was this family. They, they were people that, that we knew. But man, they were very talented singers and they were up there and they were singing. They sang about four or five songs and... I mean, I'm really not a music expert, per se, of any kind. But I'm, I'm just telling you, from a technical standpoint, if you knew music, it was perfect. They were on, the harmonies were on, they were tight, they knew everything. But even as an eight or nine-year-old kid, and, and then listening and watching my parents and watching the people around you, they sang perfect notes. Everything was... But everyone just kind of sat there. You ever been in a place like that? Man, everything was good, everything was on point, but they were it was just kind of dry, I guess is the word that we'd use in old Pentecostal. It was just dry. I mean, they just sang and sat down and people just kind of stared at them, a little golf clap at the end. And well, I remember they took a break from their singing, and this this guy, this man and woman, the woman was playing the piano, and this man sang, and and I'm I'm really not trying to be comical and I'm not trying to but, but but to say that this guy, this guy was not a good singer. He, he was trying though, man. He, but he got up there and I remember he sang a hymn. They were singing these, you know, radio songs and things like that. He just gets up there and sings a hymn. It may have been Victory in Jesus. I, I don't know for sure. But he just gets up there and starts singing and, and the talent was just, I mean, really, if we're comparing, but man, something happened when he started singing because tears started coming to his eyes and some excitement started coming to his voice. And the people in the sanctuary that were just sitting there staring at the other ones blankly started raising their hands. And they started standing and they started worshiping. Now my naive kid self, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, they just feel sorry for that man? He said, no, son. That's the anointing of God. That's the anointing of God. You see, it does, and I'm not telling, I'm thankful for anointed and talented. Don't get me wrong. But when you're having to come into to conflict, God will take His anointing. If you're willing to give Him whatever you have, it doesn't matter what it looks like compared to everybody else, but if you allow His anointing to fall upon it, He can take it farther than talent will ever do. Amen? I want to give you one more example, and I'm going to just—I'm uh, I'm just going to paraphrase this one too. I'm sorry, if, just for the sake of time. Can I paraphrase this? Acts eight. You can go look at it. Probably a famous story, kind of where this kind of comes into crystallization. Simon the sorcerer, a man named Simon. 
He was known to, to play tricks. He was known to play cons. He was a person who made money. And basically, he was in Samaria, but this man named Philip came by. Philip, who had been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and called in the ministry. Philip, who's going by and he's starting to minister and talk and preach the gospel. And people start hearing Philip and they get saved and they're believing the things that Philip's doing and miracles are following the preaching. And Simon gets excited because he sees Philip laying his hands on people and they're receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And basically, he comes to believe and he starts to follow Philip. But as he sees Philip laying hands on people and people receiving the power, again, I relate to this as a young kid seeing preachers who would lay hands on people and people having these manifestations of the Spirit of God. I'm like, God, that's great. But here was this problem. He, he saw, it was a natural one. He wanted to operate in the power, but again, his motives weren't pure. You see, he wanted to operate because he wanted himself to gain fame. And so he even goes to Philip and says, Philip, I'll give you the money. You ask me. You, you name the price. I'm willing to pay. But teach me how to do this. I want to do that. And Philip rebuked him. He says, no. You see, you need to, you're, you're mocking the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this isn't something you can just pay and you can just have happen. This is something that you have to be anointed to do. Listen to me today. In our world where we try to figure out everything on our own intellect and in our own strength, in a world where we've tried to blast and, and some of the things that have been done in the name of Pentecost and the name of the power of God, yes, yeah, some of those things have been wrong. There have been countless preachers who have, who have tried to demonstrate or, or something that looks like the power of God and we see them morally fall or we see them take advantage of people. Obviously, I understand the skepticism toward the power of God in today's society, but I'm here to tell you, we cannot function to our full potential if we're not willing to accept the anointing of God in our lives. I don't care if you're going out this week and you're building a house, I want you to build the house under the anointing of the power of God. If you're going to talk to someone, if you're going to, to, to be a mom or a dad, I want to be a mom or a dad full of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to teach and administrate under the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to sing and preach. I want to be a member of the church. But I, I want to walk and talk daily with the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life. Will you stand with me this morning? This is what I'm going to do. A very simple call here. I'm not going to try to beg or, or plead for anyone to come down. Here's what I want to do today. Right there where you're sitting, if you'll just bow your hearts. If you'll begin to allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you and speak to you, move on your life. But I do want to ask you a question. You say, Pastor Bradley, I, I know that I've been finding myself hitting wall after wall after wall in different areas and different places in my life. And, or maybe I've, I've come to a certain point where it seems like I can't progress any further. There's a point where I'm wanting to move, but it seems like I'm missing something. What you need is the anointing. You need that holy anointing oil of the Holy Spirit to flow through your life. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're here tonight or today, you can say, Pastor Bradley, I need the Holy Spirit's anointing upon my life. 
Maybe for the first time, I need the Holy Spirit to invade my life. Or maybe I just need a refreshing. I just need a strengthening. I'm burdened down. I felt the stress of life, but I just need a refreshing touch of the Holy Spirit. I just will ask you to be brave right there where you are. I'm not going to walk through or sweep the room, but the Holy Spirit is. So I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands toward heaven. Say, God, I need the Holy Spirit to touch my life. I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to operate in my life right now. Father God, I praise you and I thank you today. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that comes to sanctify, that comes, God, to cleanse us, that comes, Lord, to, to set us apart and to prepare us and to consecrate us. Father, today, across this room, Father, there are men and women, God, that, that love you and they've lived in their lives, they've lived their lives for you, Father. Lord, there are men and women here, God, that are at a point where I can't go any further. I don't want to step into Monday without a filling or a refilling, without a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, right now, sweep across this place. Touch, God, and encourage. Touch and encourage. Help them to feel, God, the warmth of your presence even right now. Stir up joy in their lives. Stir up holiness in their lives. Stir up power in their lives. Father, let us not leave here the same way, going back to a world where we're going to cower down to their enemies. But Father, we're going to walk out of here victorious and with power in our lives. And as we do that, help us, Father, to become the church you've called us to be. Help us to be the light you've called us to be. Help us to be your hands and your feet in this place and outside in our communities. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, will you give Jesus a hand clap of praise one more time?